Uh, Laura's going to come up and um, give us a message this morning. I'd just like to pray for Laura. Lord, I just um, I pray for pray for Laura this morning. Lord, pray that you help her just to be able to get your words out this morning. Lord, that you give her a calmness and a clarity of thought, and that you open our hearts and minds to your message through her this morning as well. I pray this in your name. Amen. I would appreciate maybe three or four volunteers. Um, I need some people to hand out paper and pencils or pens, please. You will be writing again, sorry guys. Hello, hello.
If you don't know their name, that's fine. Just say barista guy or mean traffic man or whatever it is. As long as you have about four or five, it'll work for the exercise. So Pauline's the overachiever, I can see. She's got definitely more than four or five. So. Oh, Pearl, Pearl, hold up that list, glorious. <laughs> okay, so your next task um, with that list, I'd like you just to, to code them a little bit. So if someone on that list is someone that you would say you love or you care for, so hopefully, you know, a spouse or a child, I would like you to put a love heart next to their name. Um, if you're neutral to them, you don't really mind, neither here nor there, just a circle. If you don't like them to any degree, that mean traffic man that cut you off when you had right of way, um, just a minus symbol next to their name. Um, and you will have to pick a favourite. So of those people on your list, whoever is the favourite person, can you please put a number one next to their name? So a love heart, if you love and care for that person. A, a zero, if you're neutral. Uh, a minus symbol, if you don't like them to some degree. And identify your favorite person on that list with a number one. Your most favourite on that list, I hope it's your spouse. <laughs> you, you didn't think of it, did you? I don't want to cause any arguments, so make sure you pick the right favourite. Pick the right favourite. Possibly the person you have to live with most. Alright, one more minute. Judging by the silence, that's usually a good sign, so I'm going to um, go on. Um, there's a lot of thinking involved. This next one. Um, think about and write down the name of the nearest in relationship child to you. So if it's a son or a daughter, a niece or a nephew, a grandchild, um, just think about the, the nearest in relationship child to you, the, the child you love the most. If you have multiple children, they won't see. <laughs> Favourite child. I'm not going to collect these, so don't worry. What you put down stays with you. I heard someone say it's easy. Um, okay, so just to recap, you've got a list of people that you had some contact with in the last 24 hours. You've coded people that you love with a love heart, neutral with a zero, dislike with a minus, and you've um, numbered your favourite as a number one, and you've just written down the name of the, the nearest in relationship child to you. The one you love the most, the child that is dearest to your heart. 
Just do it. <laughs> and um, and just <laughs> yeah, you can put your favourites on your favourite door if that works. Um, and just to remind yourself why that child is your favourite. Um, um, so just just for 30 seconds, have a think about all of the things that you love about that particular child and just put a couple of ticks around their name as you think of the wonderful things about them. So, you know, they listen to what I ask them to do and they bring me flowers on Mother's Day and they, you know, they're really good at baking me biscuits and they're very sweet and they sing great songs, whatever it is. Think of a few things that you love about that child and give them a few ticks around their name. All right, guys. Um, so here's my here's my first question for you. Um, of that list of people that you wrote, for whom would you give that child to save? So on that list of people that you wrote down, the people you had contact with, and that child that you wrote, for which one of those people on your list would you give that child to save? To save. To save. For who on that list, on that list, who would you give up that child for? Who would you sacrifice that child for to save? If you needed to save them. Who would you give up that child for to save on your list? So let me, let me give you an example. Um, guys, this morning, I, I know the name of the barista over at the Leaf Cafe. His name's Dan, he's great. Um, he makes a wonderful mocha. He's pretty cool. Haven't had any issues with him. He's always made a good mocha. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't say I love him, but I'm fairly neutral. But if push came to shove, I would not give one of my children to save him. Not a chance. Don't even have to think about it. And in terms of my list, my favourite person in the world is my husband. You can tell him that afterwards, he'd love to know. Um, my favourite person in the world is my husband. But if I had to give up one of my children in order to save my husband, I'm not sure I could. So, I'll ask you again, for whom would you give that child on your list to save? Would you give your, that child up to save the person that cut you off in traffic? Not a chance, probably, unless you're a really generous person. Would you give that child up to save someone who you put a big love heart next to you because you love that person? Time to get a bit challenging. That person that is number one favourite on your list, would you give that child up to save your favourite person in the whole wide world? I'm not going to ask you your answer, I know what my answer is. 
And I hope you never find yourself in that situation. But man, it's a tough question. Um, I'll ask you that again later. Um, but just hold on to that. Hold on to that. Hold on to those thoughts. Can I ask you to turn to or bring up on your phone um, 1 Samuel in your Bible? So 1 Samuel, I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way up to about 28. And I'm, oh, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 1, right from the beginning, sorry. First chapter, first chapter of 1 Samuel. Yep. Okay, so here we go. You can follow along if you like. Um, there was a certain man um, from Ramaphame, uh, Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroen, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, wives, sorry. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Um, if that's a bit, if that's a bit um, of a foreign concept to you, um, it's generally thought that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. Um, but there was a provision in oral Jewish law that if after a couple was married for 10 years there were no um, resulting surviving children, um, that the, the man could take on another wife so that he could have, or they could have children, that there could be um, descendants. Um, and you can see that uh, of those two, one, was, one had children and one didn't. Um, we'll keep going. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And I wonder, um, year after year when he went, how many times did he offer a sacrifice and pray that his wife Hannah might have a child? Um, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. So the provocation, being harassed, being tormented, every time um, Penina gave birth to another child. That remind Hannah that she didn't have one. She didn't have one. Elkanah, her husband... Oh, sorry. Uh, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, 
O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So this woman who for years and years had not been able to have a child is pleading to God and has made the vow that if God would bless her with a son, that she will open-handedly give him back into the service of the Lord. And that, to me, is a really crazy, courageous vow. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, "'How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine.' Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. And you read later on, in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Um, and the last little bit. Uh, when the man Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after this boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she'd weaned him. After he was weaned, and thinking is anywhere between the ages of two and about five, um, after, she had, or after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I pray for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. So that, that to me is a bit, a bit of a, a crazy, unthinkable thing. Spent years praying and begging for a child and then only to have him for a small amount of time and then to give him back to God, knowing that she might see him only a couple of times a year when she went to Shiloh. The thing is that Samuel went on to to become a prophet and a priest and to help guide Israel back to, to go, towards God and guide their hearts back towards God. He sees Israel through King Saul, or the anointing of King Saul, the crowning of King Saul, the fall of King Saul, the anointing of David. He sees through all of these great things, but he doesn't bring the ultimate redemption or salvation um, to Israel. Prophet after prophet, God's people continue to turn away from him, do their own thing, do what's right in their own eyes. And isn't that true even now? 
to each their own. Do what you think is right. Follow your heart. You do you. Whatever makes you happy. So there's a lie that there's a way for us to all live in one world doing whatever makes us happy and what we, eat, what we each think is right, but that unravels pretty quickly. What happens when two people think what is right is actually at odds? What if one person's happiness comes at the expense of someone else's? Who decides? Is it the person who has more power or more money, they're more attractive, more charming, more educated? Um, none of us here are blameless in this. But sometimes there's sort of a, like a, comparating, a comparative measuring thing of sin that we do. Um, we say, you know what, I know I'm not perfect, but look, I'm not as bad as that person over there. I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. I'm mostly okay, I'm mostly good. Um, just want to show you guys something to help understand a little bit. So as people, we might look at one another and we might measure and compare our sin like this. Um, one person, they're mostly good, so their sin's pretty pretty little. There's another person, you know, they're sort of middle of the road. They're not, they're not evil as such, but they're not great either. And then you've got some people and you, you just can stack up their sin upon sin and you can measure it up and go, wow, they've got a lot. And so to man's eyes, we look at it and we see this and we can compare who's, who's sinned more, who's sinned less, who's sins are greater, who's sins are smaller. But if you think about God and what he, what his perspective is, when he looks down, sin is sin and it all looks the same. So to us, sin might look like this and we can measure it and compare it up against one another and who's is greater, who's is smaller. But when God looks at it, he just sees sin. Sin is sin. We all fall short. We all um, have gone astray at some point. We all need saving. But you might ask why. Um, I think if we stop and we think about it, we all recognise that there's a cost to sin that has to be paid. Um, you can watch the news um, and you can see court cases and crime and how often have we heard the, the comment they need to pay for what they've done. Um, we need to, to seek justice to make it right. We know that, that sin impacts not just the person it's committed against but family and friends and it has these ripples effects that go out. Sin has a cost and someone has to pay. Sometimes um, we want to treat God a bit like a Pokemon um, and we, we see injustice, we see wrong things, we see sin and we say, 
Go, God. Use vengeance over there. Enact justice over there. Use your hand to smite that or to stop that suffering over there. And then at other times you go, oh no, come back, God. That's enough. Don't need to do that. We, people can sometimes presume to judge God, the creator of the universe, the author of right and wrong. On the one hand, we can complain about how God is absent and how does he just let that suffering keep happening? How does he just let that sin go unchecked? Why won't he do something about it? And then on the other hand, there can be complaints that he's, he's a little bit too harsh. That wasn't really necessary. That's a bit unfair. Which one is it? And we think about when we think about the cost of sin, what is the cost of sin? It's the separation from God. No big deal, right? Consider this. The world we live in right now, for all of its brokenness and its suffering and the sins and the pain and the wickedness, it's still a world that God is in and God is sovereign over. He sends rain and sun on good and evil, the righteous and the unrighteous. But what about when God's no longer in the world? Okay, God won't force us in our decision. That's the free will part. If we want God, if we want to live a life with him, he has made a way. But if we don't want life with God, why would he force us to live with him for an eternity in heaven? If you don't want God in your earthly life, why would you want God on the other side for eternity? Heaven is with God. Without God is the alternative. So how, how is the cost of sin dealt with? How is it paid for? Well, that's the best part. Sin can't go unpunished. We know that right here because morality is written on our hearts. In the time of Hannah in the Old Testament, it was sacrifice. To right wrongs, to, to make up and atone for sin, a sheep or a bull or a goat had sins laid upon it and it was sacrificed. And that's how sin was paid for, by the blood of a lamb or a bull or a goat, an ox, something like that. So someone else, someone else had to receive the punishment for sin in our place. And that hasn't changed necessarily. Someone still has to receive the punishment for sin in our place. It's just that we don't sacrifice bulls and, and sheep and goats anymore. Now there's, um, there's this story of a lady and she's stuck out to sea and she's in desperate need of rescue. And a little a fishing dinghy goes past and there's a couple of fishermen on there and they offer her to get in, we'll take you back to shore. And she goes, no, 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 it's all right. God will save me. I'm waiting for God. God will save me. So they go on. A little while later, she's still stuck out in the ocean and then a ferry goes past. And the ferry says, hey, you want to, you know, we'll, we'll save you. Come with us. We'll take you back to shore. She goes, no, it's all right. God is going to save me. God will show up. And then a cruise ship comes past. They throw down the ladder, they throw down the life ring. Come on, we'll, we'll pull you up, we'll take you back to shore, we'll save you. She goes, no, no, it's all right. I'm waiting for God. God's going to come through. He's going to save me. And I would say to you, don't be like this lady. So many people in Jesus' time completely missed the point. 
they were waiting for their own idea of a saviour to come and to free them from the oppression of Rome. When you're stuck out at sea, you might be forgiven for thinking um, that it's a shark that's going to come and take you, or it's a giant squid or an orca, or you name any of the, the beasts in the sea. They're going to be your downfall. Um, to some in Jesus' time, they needed to be saved from Rome. But like the Trojan horse, the enemy was within. They actually needed saving from themselves. The religious leaders couldn't see it, that their own hearts were the biggest problem. That lady that's stuck out in the ocean worrying about the sharks and the squids needs to be more concerned about the giant body of water that she's stuck in and all of the exposure and the elements. That's what's going to be her demise. But she had a fixed idea in her head about what God saving her would look like. Maybe an exodus-like parting of the waters for her to walk out of. Or maybe God himself would reach down his hand and pluck her out of the water. And that's what God saving her would look like. All the while, with her fixed idea, she missed the boat, she missed the ferry, and the cruise ships that all came to save her. You know, the disciples themselves had a really hard time wrapping their heads around who Jesus was and how he was meant to save them. They struggled even to see what he was saving them from. Surely Jesus, if he was the Messiah, was going to come and bring about the downfall of Rome, the oppressors, and he was going to bring about the new kingdom by power, by force, right? Surely if God was going to answer them, that's what it would look like. Surely if God was going to answer that lady in the ocean and save her, he would pluck her right out of the water and onto dry land. That would demonstrate that he loved her, right? That would demonstrate that he had heard her prayers, that he was real, that he cared about her if he did it that way. Surely if God loved you, cared about you, he heard you, he would... What? What would you put in that blank space? Do you want to be saved from the sharks and the squid or the real and more deadly threat of the water and the elements? Do you want to be saved from your earthly troubles or do you want to be saved from eternal separation? Hannah gave Samuel, her precious, long-prayed-for boy, into the service of God and he helped to, he, um, to lead Israel back towards God. But what about God? John 3.16, we know, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And if you remember back to the beginning, how hard it probably was for you to even consider giving up the child to save any one of those people on that list, even the person that you said was your favourite, how hard a choice is that? Well, God gave his one and only perfect son and he gave him willingly to save everyone. However big or small their sin was or is, however good or bad they have been, from the most saintly of people to the most wretched of people, God gave his one and only perfect son for that person, for those people, for everyone. How does that even make sense, right? Perfect for the imperfect. 
pure for the impure, innocent for the guilty, sinless for the sinful, humble for the prideful and the arrogant, godly for the ungodly. It would be hard enough to give over a child for someone who is wonderful and good and kind. But for someone who hated you, rejected you, mocked you, disobeyed you, ignored you, wrongly accused you, blamed you or someone um, blamed you for everything, um, someone who had lied, stolen, murdered, cheated, betrayed, giving your child over for that person, completely undeserved, right? But I want you to hear this. Maybe God hasn't parted the sea for you. Maybe he hasn't reached down his hand and plucked you out of whatever situation you're in. Even though you beg desperately to be safe from the sharks and the squid, it's a metaphor. But he sent a boat to save you and one to deliver you from the real threat. He gave his one and only son the only way to right the wrong of sin. And that's the saving we need. That's it. I'll just pray to close off. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for the sunshine for today. We thank you that, uh, yeah, well, our friends and family can join us in, um, yeah, dedicating Luca and Adelaide to, to you, to, um, yeah, we just thank you for the message that Laura shared with us this morning. We pray that, yeah, you help uh, continue to remind us throughout the week on uh, the sacrifice that you made and, and uh, how that relates to us in our lives as well and how we can uh, respond to that as well, Lord. We just pray that you bless this time together and bless this uh, afternoon. And we just uh, thank you again that we can meet. Amen.